Welcome back to The Stack. This week we speak with Justin Murphy. Though in fact, it was not this week, but two weeks prior, just before the release of WebRTC and Visor. So if you reckon some speculation, now reality, blame us not for seer status, but grant that the corner we saw around also saw around us. We're not just timely, but just in timely. And this, the time we spoke with Mr. Murphy, we talked of these things. First, about Assembly and how he's putting together a series of podcasts there. Surely more professional than ours, and so we ought to hate him, but cannot, because he's talking urbit. Then, as well, of what it's like to make it outside the academia. Academia? That, mmm, tough nut to crack. And not wanting to go back, what it's like shelling, no, shilling, no, making a shilling, selling your ideas independently. Then we discussed Justin's project to make high-quality matches. No, higher still, to arrange marriages that will lead to more babies for the Urbit army. And finally, Justin turns the mic on us so we can answer less well than the professionals a number of questions about Urbit. Strangers in our own homeland. The hunters become the hunted. The podcasters become the podcasted. Let's listen. Already in Austin, so the uh, Urbit Assembly will be coming to you. You don't have to travel. Yes, that's right. I'm excited for that. Should be. I'm very curious to see what the vibe is like. Last time I went to an Urbit meetup here, it was very interesting. It was the first time I went to an Urbit meetup actually, and I was impressed. I was actually really struck by how cool everyone was, and it just felt like a really good vibe. So I'm I'm excited to see what the annual conference is like. You're doing like a podcast series there, right? Yeah, that's right. This is like not official or anything. It's I'm just doing it on myself on the side. But um, I figured since all the galaxy brains of Urbit will be in where I live, I figured I might as well uh, carve out some time and, and just bang out a bunch of interviews. Um, so I'm going to do a whole series on the other life podcast of just Urbit people. I'm actually going to rent a hotel room uh, in, in the conference hotel just to get as many people as possible. Uh, How did Urbit get on your radar? I suppose it was a while ago, several years ago. I don't remember when it would have first got on my radar, but I remember just vaguely looking into it when I first heard about it and just kind of thought, okay, this is retarded. I'm like not going to bother with this much more. I probably just looked at it for a few minutes and thought it was retarded. And then uh, maybe like a year after that, uh, it kind of came up again. Or it was, I think what happened was I, I met some people who were cool, who I became friends with, who were into Urbit. And then I kind of updated my interest in it a little bit. I was like, oh, well, I like these people and they're smart. So if they're into Urbit. And then I kind of went back to it. I think I probably studied a little bit more, but still was just kind of like, eh, um, okay, weird flex, but okay. And then it was only like a year ago. No, not even. It was like, what am I saying? It was a few months ago, really, that all the stuff I was thinking about and writing about with respect to the internet and the the, the political trajectory of contemporary institutions and my own predilection for exiting the institutions and all of the kind of theoretical background for my perspective over the past few years suddenly kind of congealed. And when I was re-exposed to Urbit very recently and I just kind of looked at it, I was like, this is very, very nicely aligned with a lot of my theoretical convictions that I've accumulated over the past couple of years. And I was like, oh, wow, I think this, I think people are sleeping on this. This really makes sense. And it just kind of clicked. And 
I just decided I was like, you know what? I want to be a part of this more. I want to throw my weight behind this and I want to, you know, think about it more and contribute to it more. So that was only a few months ago. What is it kind of like design or structurally that, that, uh, fits so well with your exit conviction? Well, I guess I, I see Urbit as a bet on fragmentation and, and continuing accelerating fragmentation. Uh, my friend Bern Hobart has a funny way of putting this. Uh, he actually just said to me the other night when we were bullshitting about it, he said, he said, I'll paraphrase him. I, I can't quote him exactly, but he said something to the effect of everyone's secret ideal when it comes to discussion and community is someone that they dislike or disagree with. They want to be able to throw them off a bridge. Uh, and like at the end of the day, that's kind of like the repressed uh, secret of everyone's preferences when it comes to intellectual discussion and, and community and all of that. And basically Urbit formalizes this ability for any individual or any group to just uh, radically declare like who is in that, who is in and who is out. And this to me is the, is the really uh, promising insight because all of the culture war nonsense that we see today in, in the, in the social networks, uh, you know, that we associate with the public sphere today. It's not necessary. None of it is necessary. You know, the left and the right don't have to fight. They don't have to even see each other. And I think Urbit really uh, encodes this in in the architecture. Like Urbit will allow for a world where you only ever need to see and interact with the people that you want to see and interact with. And all of the other people, you can, you know, uh, metaphorically uh, throw them off a bridge without any conflict or nastiness even being required. And uh, th that's how I would summarize the, the, the key insight that I think Urbit really gets right and that we really need right now. So many, many people, and the, there's like the old like uh, Rodney King thing, like, why can't we all just get along, um, you know, in, or some like value of diversity of ideas or something like that? Like, do, do you disagree that that's healthy? Say that, say that again. Sorry. Oh, just like diversity of ideas and cross pollination or whatever, um, that is held up as, as a real good. Um, cause I think, hmm. you know, there's this, maybe it's just an American impulse cause we don't have any pillarization, you know, uh, history or anything, but there's, there's just this thing of like, oh, the, the best thing would be back when, you know, a Democrat and a Republican say would just go out and play golf together. Um, yeah. you know, but it, it sounds like what you're saying, and it's maybe not as trivial as just like partisan politics, but that there is a value in, um, some sort of a separation. Is that fair? Am I interpreting it right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think that you can have a healthy amount of diversity, even within communities where the boundaries of the community kind of demarcate your, your, your strongest convictions or, or your strongest oppositions. What I mean by that is. There are clearly in modern Western societies, major, major cultural rifts, which are, these are kind of existential cleavages, right? So if you're a Christian and you just believe that abortion is a sin, uh, you know, you, there are certain things that are non-negotiable in other words, and trying to, trying to build, you know, political relationships across those divides just makes for a, a total mess. Whereas if you put all the people who simply believe that abortion is the worst thing ever and that's their that's their most important issue in the world if all of those people have a little society unto themselves there's still going to be a ton of diversity on other issues there's going to be enough diversity for i think um you know a healthy ecology to be to be possible so 
I don't think that the, the benefits of diversity and the attractions of diversity, which I think are real. I don't, I don't think that those necessarily require people to be constantly interacting with, you know, existential enemies in terms of, in terms of core values. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, no, totally. You know, and I, I think that probably the number of issues that, you know, deserve a sort of cleavage can be pretty, pretty limited, but they are very serious. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and perhaps, I mean, it's, it's kind of an insidious uh, suggestion from like, say media or whatever to say, oh no, like you still have to get along with these people um, who have, you know, honestly, like a totally, you know, incompatible worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So yeah, I think, I think Urbit is, is really undervalued and I think people are sleeping on it. And I mean, I also have the, the vibe, I get the vibe that there, there is a real kind of inflection point right now of, of, of interest in it. You know, the whole, the whole fact that, you know, the Urbit, uh, ID system is, is kind of built on NFTs. And that was, you know, that was a decision that was made such a long time ago, way before NFTs were cool. And now there's this, this crazy NFT mania. And it just so happens, that, you know, the Urbit Urbit actually utilizes these for, um, you know, a really interesting use case. That just so many little things like that that just make it feel like the stars are aligned, and there's just a lot here with Urbit that um, is correct. Tell us um, about uh, bringing. So you have your your community. I think is I'm not sure what you call it, just the other life community, but bringing that onto Urbit and have you have you turned that into a DAO, a DAO? I would say it's like a proto DAO, a kind of experimental, that's an experimental tra trajectory. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of hype right now with like calling things DAOs and calling things this or that. So I don't want to over, I don't want to overplay it. It's really to, for my projects and from where I'm sitting, everything I'm doing around kind of community and crypto, it's highly experimental. So I think the patterns for these things have not really fully emerged yet. I don't, I don't think that we really know yet what really is going to turn out to be the stickiest and the most the most effective valuable long-term model or pattern for these types of things so that's that's my perspective with all of this so yeah we have an erc20 token the 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 cash tag is is money sign life l-i-f-e and you know you it's out there you can uh there, there's a uniswap pair uh, it, it exists I've been, I, I've been giving it out to people and yeah i got some a, by the way oh right on yeah we have an <laughs> We have a group on Urbit and uh, we have some content on there that is gated. So you have to hold life to have access to the content. But this, it, you know, this is, like I said, just experimental. We're playing with it and um, I'm kind of moving slow on it because I'm waiting to see like what really are the big are the big use cases that I really want to invest in. Um, at the moment, I'm kind of just playing around and, and waiting, waiting to see, waiting for my my mental models to kind of solidify and gain a bit more conviction. Um, because there's a lot of hype out there and there's a lot of like people who just kind of like are trying to, you know, make a lot of money real quick or something like that. And I'm just trying to not do that. So moving a little slow. So there's already content that is, that's gated with the live token. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But so far, like I said, it's, it's like a proof of concept where I'm moving slow, but yeah, they, in the Urbit group, you can find, um, there's a collection, uh, for people who know Urbit, I guess many people who listen to this are Urbit people. Um, so they'll be familiar with the Urbit, uh, t terminology, but yeah, there's a, there's a collection which has some essays in it and I've started mm, uploading some exclusive essays that only live in that group. Uh, and yeah, to see it, to, to get to the link for it, you have to, uh, hold the life token. Th this is not yet an, an Urbit 
native like integration. But I think I think there are people talking about uh, building that kind of token gating functionality into there. Um, but it's not here yet. Yeah, it definitely will be here at some point. I know that I know that. Um, well, I can say that that payment rails are being built now by uh, like a third party startup. Um, and also there will be eventually uh, an Ethereum, uh, an Ethereum wallet is being being built as well as the Bitcoin one. So you'll be able to uh, sort of gate whatever content that you want and then just pay uh, the author, the authorship, basically, you know, make a payment to the authorship and, and um, open, open the gate to whatever content is there. Yeah, so exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see all that stuff evolve and develop. Um, and I, I think the more I think as it develops, we'll we'll gain better insight into how to really do this well. Um, at the moment, it feels kind of like I don't want to I'm not like making it a big focus of all my efforts. Um, you guys know, I probably I, I do like a, a bunch of different things. I'm on this kind of like crazy internet hustle, like running this whole like little portfolio of, of operations is kind of crazy. And so I'm not like, I'm not really leaning too hard into the crypto and Urbit stuff quite yet, because I think, I think the patterns aren't quite there, but I'm building and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm uh, preparing because I, because I do, I do think that, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, there'll be a time when I can really pivot and, and, and move uh, more aggressively on that stuff as a, as a major part of my content operations. So do you, do you, uh, do you miss academia at all? Um, no, I really can't say that I, I just can't say that I do. Um, I mean, there are obviously, there are obviously little features here and there that I, I sometimes reminisce about fondly, but I don't miss the, 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 the career. I don't, I don't miss that, the, the shape of my life from that time. No, do, I, do I, I you, don't. Do you keep in touch with like, you know, whatever your dissertation advisor, your, um, like cohort and like, what do they think about what you're what you've been doing with your, your time? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. It's a very good question. And I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, but it is a good question. And the honest answer is, I mean, I've always been a bit of a loner. So I've never, like, I've stayed in touch with, you know, a small number of people throughout my life. I, so my PhD supervisors, my two supervisors, my two main supervisors, I do stay in touch with them. And when I, when I, when I decided I was going to quit academia, I let them know in advance, I sent them a short uh, message letting them know and and the basic rationale is very short and sweet though and i have messaged them here and there after leaving academia but the honest truth the the funny thing is with the people that i worked with at the university that i quit from i haven't talked with any of them at all whatsoever and yeah it's kind of sad but then again i don't know when i the thing is that when i got when i had my little you know turning point in academia and it was a there was some controversy there was like some public some public stuff around it um you know that my the dean of my university like told me that the 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 documents that i was being sent said you know that i'm not allowed to talk to any of my colleagues that's mm -hmm. that's what they were like telling me and um i decided to respect that only because I didn't want to get any of my colleagues hands dirty. Like I have a high tolerance right. for controversy. I have a high tolerance for like, I, I have thick skin. I don't, I, I don't really care what anyone thinks about me or says about me. Um, and I, I even kind of, I guess, enjoy public controversy or conflict a little bit, but I know that other people don't. And I, I never had any problems with my colleagues. I always had great relationships with the actual people in my department who I worked with. And to this day, I, I have nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, nothing, nothing but positive uh, memories and thoughts of, 
my actual uh, colleagues, the other academics who I worked with. But I just didn't want to get their hands dirty. And um, I also know that, like, honestly, I've been I've been in enough enough times in my life have I um, gotten into hot water for like saying something you're not supposed to say, basically. And I know one thing I know about human beings is that like 99% of people, no matter how much you no matter how close you think you are with them, no matter if you think you're best friends, or you think they have, you know, um, no, no matter what you think, just 99% of people in most contexts um, are going to, you know, step aside, and they're not going to stick their neck out to, to help you or support you if you've decided to say something or say a set of things that is, um, you know, officially disall disallowed. A and I've had enough experiences with that in my life that I decided with this, like leaving academia was such a decisive, it was such a major decision. It was such a hard decision because I gave my entire adult life to that, you know, like I did a PhD and worked really hard to compete and, and get a good gig in academia. And it was a very, very good, you know, research-based tenured position that I had. I, I worked, you know, I gave like 10 years of my life, hardcore, nothing to nothing else, but academia. So it was, I, my identity was wrapped in it. A lot of sunk costs were wrapped in it. It was like very, very, you know, existentially serious to say to myself, like, I'm going to walk away from all of this. And I just kind of decided when the push came to shove, I didn't want to get my, my colleagues hands dirty. And I knew from experience, most of them were probably not going to really do anything or help in any major way. And I wouldn't expect them to, because most people just don't want to get in these kinds of fights. Like I, I guess, like getting into, and, and then finally, because it was such a major decision, I just needed like the mental conviction, you know, to kind of think to myself, like, I can walk away from this. I can just walk away from this and never, I don't even need, I don't need anything from anyone. I needed to kind of like steal my mind to that. I needed to steal my conviction. And so when I did it, I just decided like, I wasn't going to ask anyone's opinion. I wasn't going to ask anyone's advice. I wasn't going to ask anyone's, you know, um, I, I wasn't going to plan it with anyone. I wasn't going to bounce it off anyone. Um, I wasn't going to look for any help and from inside the institution that is. And so I just basically resigned. I only told, you know, the, the higher ups at the university administration and they just were so eager. They were so happy that to have me out of their hair that they were basically like, okay, uh, we accept your resignation immediately. Um, you're, you're done. It's all done. Um, and I just moved out of England with my wife, like starting that right then. And I never, I never actually talked with any of my colleagues who, who I worked with. I just let them be. And I walked away from it. Um, for, for, for those, those three reasons that just felt to me like the way to do it. And it's a little weird. I, I, I feel to this day a little weird about it, but I do think it was, it was the I'm comfortable with it. I, I think I think it was a sensible uh, way to do it, given all three of those considerations. But no one's really ever asked me that, so thank you for asking me that. It's interesting to have an opportunity to reflect on it. So you're you like in general, which your view? I mean, um, when you look at Urbit or the future of the academy, do you? I mean, like where where do you see things going? Because it wasn't just like maybe some of it was your own personal thing, but also you know, your own vote of no confidence in where that entire sort of institution is going. So when you look at kind of the work that you're doing now and the, what you see enabled by Urbit, do you, do you see that there could be any uh, overlap there? Yeah, for sure. It certainly wasn't explicit at the time that I kind of made this big leap in my own life strategy, but there's definitely some interesting things to reflect on here. 
So one is that basically, I mean, one of the key ideas in my, in my mental model, uh, that, that was the basis for me leaping from academia was that basically just the perception that individual intellectuals are really, really underpriced by currently existing institutions. They're underpaid. In other words, the, you know, the, the real value of it, of a, of a, of an erudite independently minded and, and dedicated intellectual, someone who puts in years and years understanding how how certain part of the world works and committing themselves to to cultivating their 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 intuitions uh specifically around especially when it comes to science you know like having a developing a scientific worldview is very very peculiar it's very hard it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of study and just practice even and i do believe that people who can become erudite and independently minded and and train themselves to uh, have uh, authentic and more or less accurate kind of scientific uh, protocols built into how they research the world, how they think about the world, and and how they uh, you know develop their own uh, models of the world. I think that this is incredibly valuable, like economically, in a way that we really haven't been able to price very well as a society. And so the way it's historically worked is that the university has kind of made this bargain with intellectuals historically, which is basically like, we're going to underpay you. And everyone knows that you're going to know that we're going to know that, but we're going to give you this really cushy lifestyle where you're not going to have to work that hard. You're going to be insulated from market pressures and you're going to have a lifestyle that you like where you can read a lot and think a lot and write a lot with relative creativity and freedom. And, and, and that was always the trade. That was always the, 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 the bargain that made, that made sense out of academia. You had these really high IQ people um, with secrets and they were willing to take a relatively low amount of money to just have a good intellectually oriented lifestyle. What happens over time is that the academia becomes more and more competitive, more and more bureaucratized. And because of those factors, it all of the cushiness that made academia attractive for a certain kind of you know freewheeling intellectual type it's just no longer attractive for that reason and so you have this you have this weird thing where to succeed in academia and get a good secure career and nice paycheck and high status in academia you have to work your ass off in a way that's very oppressive and very very uh, demanding and all consuming and even even on uh, negative or for intellectual purposes it's it's constraining right it's narrowing of the mind it's 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 a kind of uh, constraining and almost a punishing of the mind. It's not this kind of cushy intellectual uh, freedom uh, and buffer that that you get out of that job anymore. And so, um, basically, what I saw was that the what what is sometimes called the creator economy, such a corny term, but but basically just everyone knows what I mean when I say the creator economy. This new world where basically individual agents who whether they write or make videos or podcasts or whatever, they just make stuff, right? And uh, they build audiences around that. This is, this is. I think this. I think everyone knows now. This is this is here to stay. This is a non-trivial um, kind of arrival in 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 the in the current economy, but also in the kind of media landscape. It just seemed clear to me that there was there was an arbitrage here that where intellectuals who are really passionate about ideas and just want to focus on maximizing their intellectual freedom and maximizing the um, you know, their, their output when it comes to just sheer 
kind of intellectual freedom and creativity. Like if that's what you're really optimizing for, as I think a certain archetype of the, of the intellectual has always optimized for, then you could have a much higher payoff by playing in the creator economy domain relative to the academia domain. And that was, that was really the, the, the key insight, um, where I decided like, I would like, when I left academia, it wasn't, I didn't think I was making a sacrifice. It was like, I'm, I made a, a strategic decision that I thought would be a greener pasture. Like I, I and to this day, I'm, you know, I think I'm going to do better in life. I'm going to be more influential as an intellectual. I'm going to be more productive and have greater achievements and accomplishments as an intellectual. And I think I'm going to have higher lifetime earnings, all of those things, um, from doing the intellectual life purely on the internet. And the way this connects into Urbit is, is something like as follows. Urbit is basically a kind of architecture that is what we would expect to arise in this world where individual creators or intellectuals or whatever you want to call them, independent, you know, thinking entities who emit signals out into the world about what is true. Um, if I am correct that, that these entities actually are very valuable economically, then in the long run, we would expect them to become leaders of communities basically. And because like have, knowing things that are true that other people don't know is basically just one of the literally most powerful, uh, and, and important things in the world. It like literally, um, that's that is what structures community more so than anything else really and so you look now at you know new york times journalists who are like quitting the new york times to write a substack or whatever i mean that only happened a couple of years after I, I quit academia but it's exactly it's exactly structurally um the same trend that that i identified and 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 kind of acted on with my own self. So where I'm going with this is that in the very long run of that tendency, in the long run of that trajectory, the the result will be individual intellectuals take more and more power for themselves, all the way down to the to the lowest layer of the stack, I think. So, you know, whereas a substack is a marginal improvement relative to working for the New York Times and me being, you know, a creator is a relative improvement to me being an academic. The really interesting thing at the end of that trajectory is the creators or the academics or the intellectuals, whatever the thought leaders, uh, to use an even cornier term, they are going to want to own their own worlds basically. And why shouldn't they? Because if you know what is true when other people don't know what is true, you really are at the apex of things. And, and ultimately we're going to have architectures that reflects that, that, that reflect that. And as you all know, and probably people listening to this know, you know, fully well, the current internet is just architecturally not conducive to that. No matter how big you are or how influential you are on the internet, your all of your work is essentially owned by these big servers, you know, Facebook, Google, whatever, these very big companies that literally own all of our data, they are at the apex of all internet attention today, no matter how you cut it, no matter who's, you know, smart or not, no matter who's getting attention or not structurally architecturally these big companies are at the apex of control and power and 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 influence in a way and and economic and ec economic power for sure so urban is the only architecture where the long-run trajectory i identified would actually be able to play itself out 
to the maximum where in short individual intellectuals and influencers would in the very long run become uh, kind of like statesmen within the the urban hierarchy so that was a very long answer but um thank you for your patience and letting me spell all of that out <laughs> no that's good uh so are you putting really putting where your money where your mouth is do you run your own orbit um i I do. I I run my own planet, but I'm working on um, running my own star. This is going to be. This is going to happen in the in the next like few days, probably, or within the let's say the next few weeks to be uh, more precise. Shout out to the Urbit host um, guy. Do you know him? Uh, he yes. Is, yeah. Uh, he is going to help me get my star. I'm going to get my star like hosted through him, so I'll have my own star up and running. Are you? But your planet though, like uh, just for fun practicality, what, what, how, how do you host your planet? Yeah. At the moment, um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's hosted with Talon. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not that cool yet, but I have used, I have used like the port app to, to boot a ship before. So. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to own your home, your own world, we got to get you on like, uh, you know, some Russian, uh, <laughs> server farm somewhere pay you got to pay in crypto i mean to be super cool you have to pay in crypto to some sketchy russian server farm run your own thing yeah that's cool i should do that you're right <laughs> I, I'll, I'll make a tutorial video about how to do that it's pretty it's pretty cyberpunk yeah i'm sure that'll keep you off all the lists the um you you <laughs> you, you experimented uh some time ago i think with like uh matchmaking or something like that um did, did that ever go anywhere or, you know, how do you see the state of um, relations these days? I will correct you. It's not matchmaking. It's arranged marriages. <laughs> arranged marriages. Okay. All right. Well, that's even more trad and Lindy. Yeah, I exactly. think you actually, you, you, you were successful at least with one, if, if I recall correctly. Well, I don't want arranged... to overclaim. Yeah. So I don't yeah. want to overclaim success. I'll tell you the whole story. We were successful in that we, through a laborious and thoughtful process, we did make a match and we did propose it and we did um, earn revenue for the production of a marriage match. They, however, unfortunately did not follow through on the marriage, but that's kind of out. We can't, at the end of the day, we can't force them to get married. So um, we're not as success. We're not successful yet because we haven't. Yet. Actually, yeah. We're, we're not mm. successful yet because we haven't produced <laughs> happy marriages yet, but we, we are doing this. We're doing this. I mean, uh, we're working on it. It's like, this is in my, this is in my weekly rotation of, of responsibilities. And, uh, there's real demand. Like we, we have something like 1300 submissions to our, to our application form. And it's a lot of people who I think are serious. So, um, at the moment I'm working with a colleague of mine, uh, a woman who's kind of like playing the, the Yento role. Uh, I, I think it just wouldn't make sense for me to be doing the actual arranging. Um, cause historically it, it's just makes much more sense for a woman to do it. Uh, so I have a colleague who I'm working with and the way we do it is this, I crunch the numbers using statistical methods, nothing too sophisticated at the moment, but basically from, from this whole data set of applications, I will run some analyses and, uh, basically filter it down to batches that I think, um, based on research there's some reason to believe that, you know, there's high probability of successful marriages in this batch. And then I will give her the batch and she, at least this is how we're doing it now. We're probably all going to change because we're going to have to iterate and learn what works best. But at the moment I will give her that batch and then she will do in-person interviews with all those people in the batch and she'll really like get to know them. And she's, she's putting real time into this. And, and then from that, from that batch, 
she will use her subjective judgment to um, decide who she thinks are the most sensible matches within that uh, batch. And then she'll tell me. And when we both look at it, if we both feel confident that we have a match that could be good, we will go to the individuals and we will say, hey, we think we have a match. Maybe tell you a little bit of generic information about the other person without you know, doxing them without their permission or anything. And then we'll say to each person, we'll say, um, if you would like to meet this person, um, we, we would now invite payment. And um, if you both want to, if you both accept, you know, uh, the offer and, and you both submit payment, then we will introduce you to each other. And then it's up to them to marry. We can't really control that. Um, so we've only done this one time. And it was very interesting. Like they did not, they decided not to get married, which, which is unfortunate, but they both really liked the process. We got a lot of feedback. We talked with them after we got the, we got the full rundown and they both said they enjoyed meeting the other. It was an interesting adventure. They had fun. They thought the other person was cool and they were, they were very pleased with the process. They thought it was interesting and cool. And, and they, so neither of them were, were in any way unhappy with their purchase or, or upset with the process. They just decided uh, it took a ton of time. Like we spent probably way too much time and effort on it. Cause we, it's scary, right? Like it's nervous. Like we're very, it's nerve wracking, right? Like we're probably going to, um, through our suggestions, people will eventually actually get married and we want to just not take that lightly. So we probably spent too much time though. Um, but we do think that the, re the, the, the economics of it, um, is going to work. Like, I think we'll be able to build a business out of this and, and I think we will actually produce marriages. Of course, the hit rate's not going to be a hundred percent, but you know, I think I bet, I bet you one in 10 of these matches is going to actually produce a marriage. So we just have to produce uh, around 10 more. And I bet how, you will have, how them. has, how has demand been? And obviously it's like a, you know, I would say ideologically the exact opposite sort of service, but like when that Ashley Madison depraved degenerate website got hacked, it was like 99% men um, on it and like yeah. no actual women customers. So ha have you seen equal demand from men and women here? Well, it's definitely not equal, but it's not half as bad as that either. It's right. not bad. It's not right. that bad. I mean, obviously there's going to be, oh, there's going to be some asymmetry there, but it's more like 80, 20 overall, roughly. So uh, that, you, say I, 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 you say obviously, but like in an, in a healthy society, it would not necessarily be obvious, right? I mean, like there would be sort of equal opportunities for men and women to find each other and something is just deeply gone wrong. No, I think actually, even in a healthy society, there's more excess males than women, I think. I, what are yeah, you? Because, just because the, this, this is like all, this is all that um, like evolutionary psychology, like pickup artist stuff that you can find right, on the internet. Right, 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 right. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. That, that's fair. Yeah. What a, so what are the, the reasons that these people to get married? Like, why can't you? <laughs> that's what I was, that's what I was getting at earlier. You, you, you say you can't force them and I'm saying not yet, but uh, yeah. what, what, what are the reasons that people are giving you for coming? Like why? So they, clearly they've tried the other way or the other ways. Why, what, what reasons do they tell you that they come to you? Yeah, it's a good question. We don't really we don't really have a question that asks exactly why they're coming to us. Um, but the way we frame it and brand it is, you know, we basically call it, we kind of call it like a matchmaking service for, for people who are sick of and tired of the endless dating games, basically. And and that's that's what I think. That's why I think people come to us is like there's just this overwhelming sense of fatigue of like all these people have been using all of these apps for years, going on dates for years. 
And it's just like, people are just like fed up with it all. And, and I think what we're trying to, to offer is uh, an opportunity to just basically cut through the noise and just get on with it. Just fucking do it. Just get married. Um, and who knows if we'll, if we'll be successful, but that's very much like the, the gist. And, and I think, and I think that is what, um, is attracting people. Well, I don't know what you know about, well, you should be fairly familiar with this, but, but about sort of Urbit's current demographic, but, um, there's, there's kind of a, uh, a bit of a joke about something in the water at Urbit because it's, uh, as soon as you get on Urbit, suddenly you're married with like three kids. I don't know <laughs> if you noticed this, but, but, uh, yeah, every like Urbit, the, the, uh, reproduction rate for, for Urbiters is, is gotta be a replacement has gotta be much higher than it is for the general population. All, all Urbiters are building, you know, some technology stack as well as, uh, reproducing themselves and i you know like um eric newton the coo he's uh, i think he's 46 and uh just had his first kid so um my point here is that if if you want to if you want to have kids start by getting on urban i suppose <laughs> that's funny that that's a really interesting point yeah maybe for the arranged marriage agency i just need to tell all the men to go on urban well so you the know problem is there's no women there's no women on there <laughs> there's yeah. some there's they're some like, there's a woman yeah. there's a woman in my in my other life group on urbit who's a mother and she was like saying that she she was like asking if, how to find other mothers on urbit you got to go to the to the urbitches i think there's a uh, oh is that a group yeah there's a group called there is a group called urbitches here that's cool uh, that's funny uh that's where oh, that's oh. where you send send the girls i was just gonna say that um the this fact that you're talking about that there seems to be a correlation between going on Urbit and then having kids. This bodes well for the growth of the network, right? Uh, maybe Urbit, maybe Urbit will be the first um, like technology that finds its 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 growth adoption curve to be driven by sexual reproduction. <laughs> well, you know, the ex it's it's uh, it's funny, but I I would say that it's not it's not only the christian contingent on there because that obviously exists but um there is a very almost virulently uh pronatal group on there of which i would i would i would include myself because i'm i'm pretty pronatal but um if you go on urbit into the groups that have established themselves there so far um you will find yourself You'll find yourself if you if you are the the sort of like rationalist bent. Um, there's uh, there's some reason for not having kids or whatever. We're trying to save the planet or whatever. I think you find actually uh, no small measure of hostility toward that idea. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, well, I think I I think rationalists don't like kids and families because rationalism is a sex cult. And families, yeah, families, families put a break on sex cult. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it sounds funny, but it's absolutely true. I mean, uh, I don't know. You can be you can be one of one of uh, Eliza Yudkowsky's seven girlfriends, I suppose, or whatever, or yeah, live in a poly. poly, poly a they're polycule. all poly, right? And they, I think so. Yeah, pretty much. Live in your polycule in in San Francisco as it crumbles around you. <laughs> yeah. So are you guys all um, like dads? Yeah, we're dads. We're, nice. 
Yeah. I mean, I have two kids. Uh, Andy has got, I'll let him tell, I'll let him say what he's got. I, I, but, the same, I, like, I think we have the exact same profile, like within months of each other. Yeah. We have a older daughter, younger son, um, so far. So when are you going to be able to do your podcast natively on Urbit? Well, you know, web, web RTC is coming and I don't know when, it, I know that it's done. It's, it's complete. I think that there are some, um, I don't know, things around distribution or something like that, but the, the actual app itself is complete. Uh, and is that going to be, so, so we already distribute it primarily through the, well, I mean, like promotionally, um, I think there might be some like effort on Twitter to do it, but most of the, uh, community such as it is, is, is on Urbit. It, WebRTC, it would be pretty cool to have like a live show and like call-ins. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, yeah, those, those sorts of things, it, it, the, the, the pace of development, the pace of movement has really accelerated. Um, oh, yeah. so there, sh there should be opportunities to do something like that. So is the WebRTC, is that going to manifest as like a new app in this new kind of app store thingy? I, I can't say that for sure, but I believe it, I believe it will. Yeah. It's not going to be a part of landscape, so it'll have to be it. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, there should be some integration, right? Like I, I think that, um, yeah, yeah, have, yeah. like within your group, you should be able to start a, um, start RPC a call channel. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I believe that's right. So I, I mean, again, though, uh, uh you're you're asking the wrong person. I, I I sort of like stick my nose into everything, but I'm not the I'm not the one who developed it. But uh, yeah, um, in any in any event, you'll be able to do video and audio, and obviously, when you know the the monetary gatekeeping comes into play, you'll be able to do that as well. So by the minute, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Great. <laughs> the the new the new sex line. That's interesting. Do you? What about? Do you think? Um, like. What, what about recording things like audio and video and and kind of hosting them on Urbit or like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what this is going to be. I mean, yeah. audio, yeah, audio and video, obviously, you know, it's, it's like, it's, 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 um, well, it's, it's distributed. The, the WebRTC is like a distributed protocol for, for audio and video, which actually um, we're recording this on Jitsi right now. So Jitsi has, has WebRTC integration as well. Um, which is why I use it as a matter of fact, because, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's like, um, um, some consilience with Urbit there, which will eventually use WebRTC as well. So I yeah, see. uh, yes, it will, it'll be using a WebRTC pro like the distributed protocol for, for audio and video. So yeah, you're basically hosting, you know, helping to host this, this network of audio and video. So are you guys super bullish on urbit are you all like loaded up on address space and you're like oh my god do you think it's like gonna like go off like crazy like sometime soon are you like waiting for it to blow up or how how, how do you think about the near future of urbit um, i am oh, go ahead oh, you you go i i think um i think it's still highly binary you know um I, the answer is i to for some definition of bold up yes um you know we we've been involved for now can say relatively quite a while, like since early 2020. Um, there obviously, many people have been there a lot longer. Um, and uh, but the, the, there's a lot of a lot of potential. Um, 
you know, it still is way subscale and everything, but, you know, you could see, see a scenario where uh, address space becomes very, very valuable. Can still see some scenarios where it, like it becomes completely without value. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll still have to see, but I think on balance, it's, um, it, it looks pretty good. Um, and certainly like, I think there's, there's no question, like people should be moving there, um, moving their online life there to the extent possible, um, for the reasons similar to like how you described. Hmm. Yeah. I, and, uh, my, my take is, um, that, uh, like, I think, uh, Eric Newton, um, to, to mention him again, uh, he said, something like urbit has to exist it will be coming into existence this um you know user owned uh decentralized protocol peer to peer protocol this is going to have to exist in the future with the world the way it is now this is going to come into being and uh it might as well be urbit um if if you want all the things that urbit does why not just use urbit because there's nobody else who's more, you know, there's nobody else in the game, basically. And uh, Urbit's, Urbit is doing it well. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that, I guess that I, I haven't, I haven't put all my eggs in one basket for sure in the, in the crypto sphere, because I'm, I also, you know, I take part in like the different, different ecosystems that I don't particularly love, like Ethereum, but uh that is just sort of like a hedge against me being wrong about about Urbit, but yeah, I mean, we we made a we made a podcast, man, you know, <laughs> about about Urbit. That's that's how much, <laughs> you know, just like some some random forty year old guys uh, make a making a podcast. It's like the millennial. We we've come we've we we've, we've achieved like the millennial final form here. Uh, <laughs> Of creating a podcast about something we love. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like you know the the internet, um, so called as as it has been up to this moment is is completely unsustainable. Um, you know, e even for reasons similar to what you described of like academia, right? I mean, like just the the load bearing um, platforms are so totally corrupted um and your your own access to it is is highly contingent on you know decisions that maybe have like nothing to do to you and, and like you don't you don't own anything like if i put i am not on facebook but if i were and i started putting my kids pictures on there like they those no longer belong to me and that's messed up and they can be used by you know people for who, who knows what reason so it's like you know, I, I don't think that that is like a tolerable state of affairs for very long, very much longer. So, you know, I, I would agree with Eric, like, you know, some something will have to give, there will have to be a new generation, and it might as well be this one. If for no other reason, then that's where I'm highly invested. <laughs> yeah. <Hell> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other, the I, other fun thing is, is like, you know, at this point in development, you know, I feel like we can move the needle, like maybe very little by trying to be, you know, try to do something like this and promote it or, um, but, you know, we can directly interact with the people who are building WebRTC, who are doing the Bitcoin wallet integration, to talk to people like you who are working to move their communities on, you know, and, and that's very cool. Like, that's very energizing. Yeah. 
Totally. I agree with that also. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's not going to toot his own horn, so I'll do it for him. I think, I think uh, at one point, the cryptocurrency forum was the largest um, group outside of urban community. So, I mean, you, you, at this point, you actually can, as he says, you actually can have some impact if you get like, you know, if you start a, a beloved community on Urbit. So uh, you don't necessarily just have to be a developer, although uh, getting on Urbit and falling in love with it has made uh, a number of us. I mean, there have been like career switches in our friends group from from what they were doing to software development just because of Urbit, because they want to like build stuff for Urbit. So and like full time um, Urbit related software development, right? I mean, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you know, now it's come out. We can talk about it. Uh, not, not that this is one of our friends, but rather, like, for instance, um, talking about the uh, third party software is is starting to happen. Like, actually, happen. I don't know, Justin, if you saw this, but but um, just like within the past twelve hours, DC Spark released a. a new piece of software for Urban, or two pieces of software for Urban actually. One's called Visor and the other one is urbitdashboard.com. So uh, I don't even know if you've seen this, but... but no, uh, no, just tell me. Oh my God. So yeah, uh, Urban Visor is kind of like MetaMask. You use MetaMask, I assume, right? Yeah. Okay, but imagine that instead of instead of for Ethereum, it's it's a, like a MetaMask for directly connecting to your Urbit. So what you do is you... Uh, it's it's a browser extension for Chrome right now, and they're they're working on Firefox as well. Hmm. And uh, you, you it, it kind of looks like MetaMask. Um, you open it up, you set up your account by creating a master password, and that password encrypts your um, your plus code. Uh, which if 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 you do, uh, like for anyone who doesn't know what that is, uh, Urbit people probably do. But so your your Urbit prints out a code that that allows you to log in to the Urbit from outside. So anyway, this extension called Visor uh, holds that that code for you in a um, so yeah, it's encrypted with the password. So you got the 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 passwording or the code is encrypted with your password, you log in and then you can like um, switch between Urbits. So if you're running more than one Urbit, you can quickly switch between them. But the really nice thing about it is that it's a total permission layer between um, the rest of the internet and your Urbit. And you can mm -hmm. use these sort of like uh, uh, permissioned apps on the internet that are connecting. The, the back end is your Urbit. And then, uh, you know, it can kind of interface with these web apps. And one example that they have is is uh, the one that I just mentioned, um, Urbit Dashboard. Um, so it's kind of like protecting your Urbit from the nasty outside internet, but you're sort of still able to use like your web browser to, and and it will you know like you're familiar with landscape. This is going to bring other uh, like third party builds to to the Urbit Urbit ecosystem. So for instance, if you went to urbit-board.com, you log in with your visor, which connects uh, through a permissions layer to your Urbit, and then you know the you you tell it what permissions the website is allowed to to have for your Urbit, and then uh, you go. So like for instance, the Urbit dashboard will show you how many groups you're in and how many comments you, you haven't read and things like that. You should check it, check it out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And they just so released that. Hours so basically ago. Yeah. you're going to be able to use your Urbit ID to have an Log. identity 
on yep. other websites on the clear web. So right. you, without having to like give them all your information that Cor correct. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you can, it's, it, you can use it as a, like an urban ID login. I think, you know, by you log in kind of like, you know, MetaMask is now used to use your Ethereum wallet to log into a bunch of distributed apps. It's the same thing, but with your urban. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta meet these DC spark guys. I know they're in Austin. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll find them. I think yeah. one, one guy was going from Asia. <clears throat> uh, are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the, well, we know some of the DC spark guys, but uh, one of yeah. the, the advisor, uh, the advisor for that is the, uh, the one who taught, um, to taught the urban the urban course at what was it University of Illinois? Uh yeah 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 and he's he's just become their advisor so um, anyway you should you should uh, you should be able to meet him because he's he's giving the uh, he's he's doing a whole um, um, yeah he's doing a workshop I don't there, say, right? he's getting a workshop yeah yeah, yeah 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 he has some spicy thoughts about academia as well so you can oh uh, yeah commiserate yeah. on that. Interesting. Okay, good to know. I'll, I'll ask him about that. And are you guys developers or engineers or what? Or not? No, uh, I, not. I come, from a, I come from a more um, finance background. So you guys aren't like hacker, hacking on Urban? No. Uh, I am. I, I want to. I teach computer science, which means that I don't program at all. Like I have no coding skills. Uh, so so I actually want when I was when I was um talking about people making and want, uh, wanting to make a lateral move into developing for urban that I was actually also talking about myself because I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I'm learning, I have no practice, practical skills. So I'm learning the, the practical development side of, of computer science and actually learning how to, how to program uh, just so that I can change jobs basically and, and start writing code for urban. That's, that's all I want to do now. Oh, I mean, cool. that's like how, you you asked like how 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 much we've committed um, and like that's that's how much I'm committed and I okay, as I say so, other other people as well. Okay, so this is a good opportunity for Matt, for me to ask you something. I, I'm trying to get a better sense of because like what what people like Logan tell me is that you know Urbit once you learn how to program in Urbit it makes it really easy to build apps because it abstracts away all the database stuff and there's all there's basically all this gunky stuff that you don't have to do all of a sudden on Urbit. So in theory, it's supposed to, it's supposed to make development really fast and easy, which sounds really cool. And I trust, you know, that's true on, on some level. Um, and yet development doesn't really seem to be, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to move very rapidly. So like for someone like you who doesn't, you know, you're, you're, you're computer science literate, but you're not a skilled coder. Like how long is it going to take you to be able to ship an app? that someone could use? I will say that, that we know someone who did not know anything about coding at all two years ago and has, has shipped uh, Urbit software that is, that is being used widely now. Huh. Um, so that's from zero to um, having a job in industry and producing Urbit native. Yeah urban software with Obviously, under, under two this years is, this is g loaded right you know so if you're, yeah right if you're good if you're good you know and just i would say like you probably fit it i mean like if you're kind of smart you can do that yeah okay sure sure and 
And what, how do you think it's going to unfold when it comes to monetization? Like what, where, where will be the monetization points? Like are the apps in the app store, I'm just calling it the app store grid, whatever, whatever it is, this new, this new interface, like, are those apps going to be free? Are some of them going to be, you have to pay for them or how do you think that's going to settle? I don't, I don't think like, so I don't think the economics of the, um, you know, so-called legacy internet or whatever, like necessarily that wrong, you know, like, so I wouldn't think that it will be that different. You know, people, if there's software distributed on, um, through Urbit, through that ecosystem, you know, it, it'll be kind of similar. Like sometimes the economics will make more sense in a, um, you know, razor and blade model, right? You know, where you, you don't pay that much to, or maybe it's free to download, but then, you know, there's there's stuff that comes down the, the right line. Maybe so there will be some subscription stuff. Maybe there will be some things that are a one-time download fee or one-time subscription fee, and that will make sense. Um, certainly there will be uh, Substack type things, I think, for some payments for content. Um, you know, and so, so the, like the payment technology and everything is coming imminently. Um, and I think we'll see some like kind of just the organic applications and as there are ways to put up some gates and, you know, it'll be kind of democratic, you know, the people who put content out there and it's garbage, like it's not going to be, not going to be paid for. Um, so I think, I, I don't think that I would expect it to look that different from the economics of what you've seen, um, you know, before it'll just be delivered in a much cleaner way. I, okay. I do want to say something about the moat though, which is um, there are, there are a couple of things that you can get from Urbit. For instance, the high trust that you have for each node on the network. Um, so there's some, there's some benefit there to having, to, to knowing that uh, the, the planet that you're doing business with is, is sort of uh, highly trusted. And at some point there will be a reputation system that comes into play. And so you bring that in and you have uh, something like the ability to um, make markets that are flowing through stars. So stars is the economic layer. If you think about it this way, you think about um, uh, galaxies as the um, uh, galaxies as the governance layer and then um, stars as the economic layer and then planets as sort of like the individual or business layer. And then uh, you can start running sort of like financial services through stars uh, and making markets and things like that. And um, I don't know, just the just the the fact that that or, or not the fact, but the the how the planets themselves and stars themselves uh, accrue reputation, and um, you know that that the nodes on the network are actually trusted. Uh, this is going to have some kind of, I don't know, it's going to have some kind of effect on the way that, that we do um, business on Urbit. And so anyway, for you as a star owner, um, I think that you'll find that what you're going to be doing is, is delivering a lot of service to planets and taking, let's say micro payments for services rendered to planets. Um, and that, that to me, that's, probably the largest area of um, unexplored economic territory for Urbit right now. What kind of services do you think stars will be providing to planets like most imminently? I, I am thinking about things like payment routing because so for instance, uh, 
eventually stars are going to be I, well, this is this is the plan, as I understand it, that that stars are supposed to be doing uh, most of the heavy lifting for for um, network infrastructure. And that if you think about it this way, 256 gallery, galaxies send out, um, you know, let's say the, the over the air over the air updates to the stars. And there's uh, what is it, 65,000 plus stars. But then those stars represent 4 billion planets, uh, 4 billion plus planets. And so they do most of the, the heavy lifting as far as, as um, services that are sent out over the network. And uh, so what I, what I see happening is that you, you, the, the, the planets themselves are peer-to-peer, but um, stars do peer to uh, help them do peer discovery. And if there is some kind of network interruption or firewall or something like that, um, stars will be doing, you know, services will be routing uh, through stars. So stars will actually be helping um, planets that want to communicate with one another get around firewalls. I don't, I don't mean the sort of, the sort of situation where they're helping them, you know, through enemy government territory. I just mean, you know, uh, network dis- disruptions and things like that. So you, so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. So it's basically like, I, I think I've heard this, this metaphor before that it's like, kind of like how I pay an internet service provider a certain amount each month for right. internet. People yeah. like planets will pay stars like that, you think? Uh, it's possible. And, and I also think that, you know, like it, it could just be the, the case that a star will be, um, yeah, routing. You, you know, it could be like a some some micropayment on a service, sort of like you know, every every time you use Visa, they take a infinitesimally small part of of your of each transaction or something like that. Oh, I see. And, okay, right. So it's like we were talking before about things like token gating, content, and stuff like that. So it's more like, um, like as a planet, I might token gate some content, and there's a little bit of an economy around that. Maybe I make some money off of that. But really, the economic layer is the star. Like the star is gonna, the star might be taking um, some percentage of all transactions that take place within the star's planets. Yeah, and I don't think so. For instance, let's say that you were going to set up a, a massive market. Um, the star, you know, that that could happen with a planet. You, a planet could conceivably run the entire government of some, you know, country or whatever. Right? There's no sort of. I mean, it's. It, in that sense, uh, it's exactly the same. It has the same computational capability as a star. There's no really difference there. It's just that it's right. the, it's it's sort of the economic layer that you're on versus or, or the governance layer that you're on. But you've got to imagine that the people who have stars uh, and the worth of the star is going to be, um, meaning that, that that the stars are going to have the infra- infrastructure around them, generally speaking, to serve massive numbers of planets doing massive numbers of transactions and things like that. So it would be kind of like, uh, you know, capturing, uh, capturing cable back in the, back in the seventies or, uh, you know, setting up huge, huge internet infrastructure. Now, potentially, uh, you running, you're running markets through there that are shifting millions of, of monetary transactions every day, that sort of thing. So, yeah, awesome. potentially. Let's, go. Let's fucking go. I yeah. want to know what to, I want to know what to do with my star. 
Yeah. Uh, right now, obviously, I mean, you know, the layer two solution, I think, is going to to allow us to explode because, you know, as well as everybody else who's listening to this, probably that that Ethereum is real. The PKI on Ethereum is really holding us back at the moment. But I think I, I don't know if it's going to be ready for assembly because I'm, I, I don't actually have any secret access or anything. I just listen to everybody. But it's very close. And so like, if you're following along on the dev list, I think they've pretty much got the layer two system or layer two solution complete. They've already done the audits. And so I don't know, I mean, it could be dropped anytime, basically. Uh, maybe they'll do it at assembly. I don't want to, I don't want to suggest they will. I don't know, but it, it's going to drop eminently. After that, we'll be able to actually sell planets for, you know, whatever, 25, 30, 40, dollars a piece and the entire cost will be the cost of the planet whatever you set the cost at because the cost to you to use the layer two solution is is zero you don't have to pay anything at all right right yeah part of me because i was thinking about that and uh, i mean you guys might be interested to hear a little report on my experience selling planets which i've just kind of did experimentally so um yeah i recently decided uh you know i had too much going on and i was like i just been trying to consolidate and so i was like i'm gonna shut down my patreon and i'm going to shut down my discord and i'm just going to have this urbic group instead that'll be like the one thing and then um so i have i have a little urbic group now as we talked about uh but i decided since i was like you know investing more effort into urban and kind of wanted to get behind it i just basically started i just made a little simple uh onboarding flow like a little little public web page landing page that was like uh if you want to get on urbit and you're not already on urbit i can hook you up with the planet and i got some I got some like through the Urbit Foundation. They just like gave me some to get started. And uh, I was like, okay, you can just ask me for one and I'll just hook you up. And I I ran out of those real quick. Like demand was higher than I was expecting. I, I, I didn't, I figured it would take like months before um, I used up all of them, but they went really quick. Like people were pretty keen, but I was like, okay, you know, uh, of course when you offer free stuff, like everyone wants free stuff. So I gave, I was giving these planets away for free. Um, so what I was, so then I was like, I'm just going to throw up a price tag. So that'll throttle the the demand. And, um, then I got, I went and obtained more planets and I basically, yeah, just had this simple form that was like, if you want a planet, um, since it costs money to, you know, spawn them or whatever, just give me 55 bucks and I will give you a planet. I'll give you your master ID and your, um, the ticket, I'm sorry, the ID and the master ticket. And then I made a tutorial showing people how to how to boot up uh, their ship on using the port app. And I thought that I was just throwing up the price tag to more or less stop the flow of requests for free planets. I figured like maybe I would get like three a month or something like that. Maybe people would maybe three people a month would pay fifty five dollars uh, for a planet, and that's fine. I would hook them up, and I basically burned through all of those planets faster than I thought. And in the end, I I I made something like seven thousand dollars in like four months i think uh selling selling planets at 55 bucks a pop i was i was like whoa i was not expecting that at all it I, I didn't even it wasn't even a serious project it was like i had no intentions of like making real money doing it and yeah so demand so that's an interesting little story like i think demand is 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 pretty substantial but now when you say it was 55 dollars did this cover the gas fees um, yeah, at the time. Well, right. At, 
I was, I was, I got a good deal on the planets basically is how it ended okay. up making, yeah. it ended up making me money. Cause I got a good deal on the planets, but I, I just used $55 as the price because that's what it was quoted at as that's what the cost at that time that I looked into it at that time, yeah. the quote that I, the quote that I got was about $55 per planet. Um, so I, I was able to get a good deal on the planets. So that's how I was able to make money. But, um, yeah, but the point, the point being, uh, if this layer two solution makes the cost of planets negligible, um, and I think the, I think the interesting move forward will be like you sell planets in conjunction with some type of community or content or something like that. I think that's like right. what makes the most, that's what makes the most sense at, from like a, from a, from a sales perspective, I think. Right. Uh, I'm not, I have no idea how that's going to go. It's, it's, there's 4 billion planets, but they're not all un unlocked at once. They're going to be unlocked over the next like five years, I think. And so, but obviously there's plenty out there and the same is the same is true with stars, by the way, you can't sell all the stars right now. I think they, they're on a time, their time release as well. So, uh, um, I, I'm not really sure how it's going to go. You, you want, um, wide distribution, but also there's going to be some sort of like, you know, De Beers scenario where, where, uh, people are, are sort of making little cartels or whatever and, and slow releasing these things possibly. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that and honestly, I was thinking that what I might do when the layer two thing comes out, if I, if I can just spawn planets for my star, like for free, I think I might just give them out for free and basically just see how many people I can get onto orbit just for, yeah. Free. See, yeah. you're the, you're the enemy. You're the enemy. Wait, this so why is, is that bad? <laughs> no, so why it's is that fine. Bad? It's fine. No, I mean, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to give some away as well. So like I have a, a it's, it's not bad. I'm, I just mean for people who want to like, you know, sell planets for a hundred dollars a piece. Um, right. I, for instance, I, I'm going to do something for veterans. So as soon as the L2 comes out, I'm probably going to give like several hundred, hundred planets away for, for veterans because I'm a veteran myself. And I've seen, I don't, I don't know if you've been following like the Lieutenant Colonel Scheller debacle or whatever it is about the, the Lieutenant Colonel who called out everybody, the Marine who called out everybody in the military for um, what was going, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal, but that was so infuriating to me. And I've seen sort of stories like that. Uh, the, you know, whatever you think about the vaccine, the, there are people who have in the military who don't want to take the vaccine and they're, they're being drummed out. And then there's also, you know, people who are sort of like not ideologically aligned with the, with the regime who were kicked out, uh, or beginning to get kicked out of the military post like January 6th ideological reasons. And so um, one thing that I want to do is, is just give planets. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make anybody pass an, an ideological test if they were in the military and, and want to get on orbit. The reason that I, I think this is important is because it's like this, uh, the Scheller guy, uh, he, he wanted to start a movement as a result of, of his, um, anger towards the military or, or his, his, his genuine, uh, dislike. So he got on Facebook and, uh, started talking on Facebook and that has landed him in jail. But, um, you know, Facebook is like throttling the number of friends that he can add. So this guy's trying to start a movement, uh, of people of like-minded, of like-minded people who, um, want to say something about the current 
American regime. And Facebook is not allowing him to build his community because, well, for whatever reason, uh, they throttled the number of, of friends that he was able to add to his Facebook page. Right. I don't want that, you know, I don't want that to, to happen to people. I want them to own their own space on Urban. So I'm just going to give, I'm going to give that away to people. So I'm, I'm my own enemy as well, I suppose. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. I mean, I think that makes sense. Well, I think if you want to, like, if you want to accelerate growth of the network, then yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, yeah, I think it is self-interested and, and a public good to, um, at the same time to just get people on, on the network, especially like I, specific groups who want to talk with each other. Yeah. I really do think that's right. Because I think that in, in the beginning, you need to continue to spin out planets to like high, you know, high quality people, I suppose, because the, if you're selecting, if you're selecting your network, then you get a network of very high quality people. And at some point that, that means that it's going to be high status to be on the network. And so it's wise in the beginning to just give it away to people who, you know, are going to bring status to the network. And then at some point the, the throngs will be beating down your door to, to buy your planets or whatever. And what do you think is the best way to onboard new people? Like when, if you were to, if you were to get, try to get a bunch of veterans on, for instance, like what is the the flow that you would recommend for them? Like booting through the port app or what would you have them do? Uh, I, well, hopefully we have something within the next year, like a turnkey hosting solution, which means um, ideally what we would have is somebody like, uh, let's say you and me, we're not um, highly code literate people, but we, we could potentially, you know, um, set up set up a Docker or something like that on DigitalOcean or whatever. Just a, as an example, some some uh, cloud service we could set up a, a, a Docker. Well, ideally, it would be a turnkey hosting solution where where we would be able to to just um, start up the program and then start like get a dashboard for handling all of the handling all the flow, uh, people onboarding people and things like that, but also like monitoring, you know up uptime and downtime monitoring and things like that. Um, I, and I think that something like that will uh, probably be probably be a priority for the foundation after L2 um, because a lot of people are going to want that. A lot of store owners, I think, are going to want some situation where they can set up like a storefront, uh, sell their planets, and then like help host them um, you know, and then be able to monitor them and things like that and set up payments and, and all of that. So ideally that'll be coming. If I were going to do it right now, um, I'd probably, uh, to, to get the community, uh, I'd probably go with, uh, so, you know, Nick is, is the head of, uh, head of community, uh, urban community at Toulon. Mm -hmm. Um, he is very helpful in this way. It's like he, he gives out planets and things like that to people who, who sort of, uh, are coming with a community. So if I were coming with a community, I mean, if I'm speaking to people who are bringing, who want to bring a community to Urbit, I would suggest that they get in contact with um, Nick because Talon and, and the Urbit Foundation both will probably, uh, you know, if you're bringing, if you're bringing a high quality community, they'll, they're very likely to give you some planets to do that. And then also, uh, help you with infrastructure. So for instance, maybe, I, I don't know if it'll be a Talon hosting or, or, or what, but, um, for myself, like, uh, I just, I just, uh, started, I got into, got into urban, started talking to people. And then when I said, I want to do this thing with, with veterans, I had people come out of the woodwork to be, to say, 
I'll give you some planets. Let me help you with hosting infrastructure and things like that. So just show up, I guess, and have conversations. That doesn't sound right. like a, a very um, um, studied answer, but that's really the truth. The more time you spend on urban and talking to people, you, you, you start getting these possibilities sort of open, open up. But um, so, yeah, like right now, I don't think it's, I don't think it's such a, such a great, uh, like for hosting infrastructure personally, uh, I don't think you can do that unless you get in with like Talon or Herbert Host or something like that. Um, like you, I, I can do it for myself personally. I'm probably like everybody in my family, but we're talking about thousands of planets. You need to have automation. And so, uh, right. yeah, you, you've got Herbert Host and Talon at the moment. There will be more. I'm, I know this. There will be more. But isn't the port app kind of cool or no? Yeah. I mean, yeah, port is great. It's uh, it's good for your own. The, the only problem there is that, you, you know, then your herb only works as long as your computer's on, right? So Right. But uh, for most users, like individuals who are not like running groups, but just like participating in groups periodically, like it's a, it's, it's a good solution, right? I think so, except that okay, the, the problem with not having an always on connection, though, is that, you know, you're not getting notifications. So like, uh, if, if the, the thing for me is urban is like, I've gotten so far into it that now it's the daily driver. Like I don't do anything. I don't do anything else. I don't do telegram. I don't do discord. I don't do mm. Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter just to like poorly promote this podcast. Uh, and that's it. Like urban, my, my whole online world has sort of like turned into urban. And so for me, a sometimes on connection is not enough. And, uh, I guess it's, I think it's sufficiently like, like crack, uh, that other people will get there. And so what, port is what the, really is the downside of sometimes not being connected? Like what, when no, 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 up, don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. Oh, oh, you, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, like if so I send the, you, if you're not connected uh, yeah, and I send you a message, like you'll get it when you log in eventually. Right. Correct. Yeah. So what's really the, the downside to well, Sometimes I mean, if you're used to something, on. if you're used to, to like uh, having Telegram on your phone, you know, it's like you actually get the notification when when it arrives and you go check it. And so if you are using it as your business, now I, I'm talking about somebody who's who's getting increasingly like like me or like living on it. So, yeah. Like living on it. Yeah. You what you want is to know when a notification arrives. Now we have this concept of calm computing, which is, you know, you don't want the thing harassing you, but I do want to know if like somebody has, uh, I don't know, said that they're not going to be able to make it on my, on my urban podcast or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, I think we're just used to that. We're used to having the thing all, always on. All right. I got a, I got a good question for you guys. Um, all right. It a while back, many years ago, I think that uh, Curtis wrote a blog post on the Urbit blog that was, it was, a, it was like an FAQ. It was kind of a response to, to objections and questions and stuff like that. And yeah. there was a part in there where someone, where he, he, he responds to this question around like, what's Urbit's killer app. And at that time he said in that article that he thought the killer app for Urbit would be personal API aggregation. And I, you know, I'm sure you guys know what that means, but for people listening, maybe whatever, um, you know, like we have all of these different web apps, right. And they all can communicate through APIs. 
And it's a, it's like a big pain in the ass that we're like always logging into all these different things all the time. And it, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a computer that we had, that was like our one, uh, these are my words, not his now, but, uh, you know, if we had one computer that was like the command center where we could uh, manipulate all of these different APIs that we're plugged into, and we can kind of take control over them and write different kinds of programs to, to rein in, um, uh, you know, our, 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 our different APIs that we're, uh, connected to. And I thought that's really, really cool. Like to me, that, that, that idea resonates very, very deeply with me. And the idea of being able to use my Urbit to basically manipulate and control both, both sending information, but also receiving information from all of these different APIs and, and being able to, you know, write apps or, or, you know, download apps that are going to kind of help me, uh, you know, maneuver through those things and take control of them. That sounds awesome to me. And I, I kind of do feel like that's a killer app. And I later learned, I was kind of asking about this for other people. And I learned from some other people that basically, I think it, I guess it would have been Tlon or the Urbit community more generally kind of decided at a certain point that that wasn't the most promising pathway and that the, the social networking made more sense as a kind of first killer app to really lean on. So I'm curious, what do you guys think about that? Like, are you, I'm just curious if you have takes on that. Do, do you, where is the API aggregation in Urbit? Is that, uh, am I right that that's like really cool and should be developed or is that um, not as interesting as it sounds or just do you have any takes on this? Because I find it interesting. I think that you are going to get what you want because, um, I, you know, I don't know what the best business decision was, uh, like which, which way they should um, focus first. But having landscape first at least allowed them to get this uh, sort of burgeoning. It, it allowed them to go from uh, strictly highly technical people to early adopters. Right. And um, now they've got a community of, a, I don't want to say tens of thousands, but certainly more than 10,000 sort of passionate and semi-passionate early adopters. Uh, and that has allowed them, you know, to, to get VC funding, which I'm not sure that they, uh, when I say they, I mean, third party, third party developers. Mm -hmm. So you kind of were able to prove that you could get into that next step of, of additional users. And so just over the past, like six months, um, a fairly large amount of VC funding has been secured for a, for uh, third-party app development. Um, and I think that that might be a result uh, of the fact that they were able to onboard a lot more people with, uh, with yeah, landscape that makes sense. because nobody, that nobody was using, I don't want to say nobody was using it, but people, the people who were using the command line interface before landscape were highly technically savvy people. Uh, and now what you have is high IQ people who are not necessarily, you know, like kernel, kernel developers. Uh, so yeah, it moved from there. And then the next step is something like the development platform. So that's gotta be in place so that people can actually develop stuff. Uh, now they've got that with grid. Um, and because before there was no sort of like solution for, for developers just, putting their app out there and distributing it. So they didn't have app, app, app distribution at all. Uh, now that's in place. Now you can get what you want, I think. 
uh, yeah, I hope that is, comes. I'm like, I, I love that idea. I'm like, I'd be super pumped well, on that. I, I hope look into look into visor because one thing that you're talking about is being able to like ag so you know use your urbit as an aggregator. Um, I think that uh, the the ability to log in to your urbit to any sort of uh, web page now with with this meta metamask like functionality that the visor brings. Um, I think that gets you one step closer and obviously the app store does as well. So, uh, yeah, I think it, I think that it's, it's, uh, very interesting, but it was probably like an N plus two or N plus three steps away, you know, gotcha. and now we're, now we're actually at N plus two. So you can, you can probably get what you want. I think. Nice. I feel and like I've been asking there? you guys a lot of questions, so I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to. No, I, that's kind of for me. Nobody ever. No, you, you turned it into your podcast, so that was kind of cool. And then I got to be a guest. I've never gotten to be a guest on a podcast before. So okay, you know, well, there you go. So, so uh, uh, what, what's your like most highly anticipated interview during assembly? Oh, good question. Um, I'm kind of scrambling at the moment to get them booked and lined up, but um, I guess at the moment, huh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know people well, so it's all it's all kind of uh, mysterious yeah. uh, adventure adventure to me. So, um, I mean, I've lined up so far. Your COVID? Do you have your COVID test lined up? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I, I'll get that. But um, yeah, we'll get Galen get to... on. We're gonna get Eduardo on. We're gonna get. Um, I actually think now that I think about it, someone was someone was telling me uh, someone's connecting me with the DC Spark people. I think so. I think I'm gonna get one of them on, and. Um, we're going to get Ted Blackman on. We're going to get, uh, Josh will probably come back on, but I mean, I'm hoping to, so I'm looking forward to all those. I'm sure they'll all be good. But, um, honestly, I'm like, what I'd really like is to find, and maybe you guys could help with this. I don't know. I want to, I want to find like some, some weird people, you know, some, like, uh, some, some, some people that are like deep in the depths of the urban underground who are like super interesting and weird and autistic and who are going to like come on the podcast and like drop some crazy, Drop, drop uh, some crazy, crazy bombs Andy, on who's, me. Andy, who's the guy who's who's stateless? The the guy who owns oh, a Galaxy. Well, he he's he's obviously not going to be there, right? Because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't have like a travel document. No, there's some like Galaxy owner who like I mean he's he infamously because he was like a Bitcoin guy, um, renounced his citizenship in Slovakia, and you're not like supposed to allow like this violates many conventions to allow somebody to become stateless but i think he must have been so annoying that they let him do it <laughs> um and he had he has some i can't remember the guy's name maybe he's listening but the, he has some like slovakian travel document that is not sufficient i'm sure <laughs> to go to the u.s so he'll have to wait until there's a bratislava uh, assembly and, but he, you said he listens to the podcast well, no, no, I, I'm sure he doesn't. I don't know. He, he goes on like the Google. Um, he's plugged in enough with the community to go on to like the Google dev distribution. However, um, I, like he he's like consistently complaining because I think he bought a galaxy for like three Bitcoin back <laughs> in the day. Or so. yeah. And like, you know, uh, it has not performed as well as that. I don't know. He's just like complaining about how little money he's made, which to me shows a real lack of vision. But well, he sounds interesting though. I, I would, I, I'd have him on for a remote interview. What's his name? Uh, we'll have to, 
we'll have to get that for you yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not hard to find out, but like um, it's it's not at the top of my my head. All right, the well, second if you time want, he's if, come if up you, in a week though, so that's funny. If you if you can give us an give me an intro or something, that'd be good. I, it sounds interesting. Yeah, I I, I want to find all the mo most interesting, you know kind of unique people who are kind of hiding in oh, the depths of, of urban. You know, somebody, somebody we have, uh, Mike, this is not really Mike Gogolski. Mike Gogolski. That's it. That's it. Gogolski. Yeah. Yeah. What's his story? Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's, that's him. That's, he's just, that's the, he's, he, the, he's like, just, uh, yeah. Gave up his, you can, he, he's, yeah, certainly like if you talk to, um, uh, like any Talon guy, like they might be able to put you in touch with him. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, this is good. I have, I have some, I'm getting some leads on uh, the kind of people I want to, I want to talk with. So I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll be able to find them. As well as that, there's, um, you, you know, there's a Catholic nun who owns a galaxy. Really? Uh, yeah. And there are two, uh, two Buddhist monks who own galaxies. Wow. So if you can find, hmm. how, how did this I, happen? How do I find them? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you, you, gotta, you have you to hang out. Yeah. You got to go to Tibet or the Vatican. I don't know. Uh, Does the Catholic nun have a group or anything or? No, no, no. I don't think that, I don't even know if they're on. I just know that they own them. I want to correct. Uh, I, it's an, or, it's an Orthodox. Woman. Oh, excuse me. I, I believe, I believe she was in a monastery and I don't know if she actually made like a profession or anything, but I, I think she was like a reader of, Curtis Yarbin's work, which I I am totally unfamiliar with, but the um, yeah, I don't even know who, I don't uh, even know who that is. You guys yeah, keep mentioning this Curtis but Yarbin. The, um, but he uh, and then I don't know if she was like a programmer or something, but he did like a um, a contest where you could get a galaxy for decrementing something in knock, and maybe it was from that that she got it. Wow, an Orthodox nun, you said. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't think the Orthodox had nuns though, but I, I could be totally wrong on that. I could be clueless. They do. They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's very uh, different. Like um there are not or I'm Orthodox, but they, there's they're not like uh orders the way that there are in, in Catholic um to, and you don't have okay. like cloistered religious. Um I see. So yeah. That's a that's a whole other interview. We can do that sometime. <laughs> So can we ask? Let's let's do a wrap up question then. Uh, Andy, you got you got anything you want to ask? No, I'm good. For wrap Go up. Ahead. I always come up with I always come up with the same dumb question, which is, what is what is the future of Urbit going to hold for you? No, I. Hmm. Uh, um. So yeah. Anyway, what is the future of Urbit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I I'm happy to I'm happy to give you some sketches of how I think about it. I mean, I should give you the caveat that. I'm not in an and, and what so. are you going to do? Like, what do you want to do as well? Like with your, with yourself on orbit. So yeah, where, where's the thing going? Right. So the caveat here is I'm not an engineer. So sometimes my orbit futurism is, is maybe, I don't know if maybe it's like a bit off the mark, but, but then again, sometimes that maybe it's, I think it's good that I don't have the engineering to constrain me. So I just like can use orbit as this kind of like uh canvas for my like computing dreams. So with that, with that as a, with that as a caveat, I don't know how grounded to reality this is. I mean, what I I really think about, you know, what Urbit looks like in a fully developed Urbit ecosystem, in my view, is kind of a combination of the personal API aggregation benefits, which resonate strongly with me, and the, um, you know, nicely governed 
uh, private community features. So in my mind, like when I really think about urban in the future, I think about a laptop that I log into, which is like just Urbit, And I just have like one or two or three apps. And one of them is like a writing app basically. And I, I kind of have this, like, this is an exercise in kind of like Urbit futurist, like app development. But what my mind always goes to is just like a beautiful word processor, basically that I can, I just do all of my work in there. I do all of my thinking and, and writing in there. And then I can basically with any piece of text, I can kind of just like, I don't know, right click or something like that. And I can kind of define like where it goes and to whom it goes and, and, and like the conditions for it, you know? So it's like, I might write, you know, maybe I write like a, in an inspired 1000 word little essay and I'm like, okay, this is suitable for my, for my, for my other life group. And it also, this makes sense to send to my email news newsletter. And so I would just like select that. I would select that uh, bit of text and then I would, you know, right click and I would, it would mark, you know, this goes to group, this goes to newsletter. It's instantly sent out to my, to my email newsletter infrastructure and it's instantly made available in my private group. Uh, but maybe for another, maybe for another bit of text, uh, maybe it's just like a really good one liner and I would just, you know, select that and right click and I would push that one to Twitter or something like that. Maybe for another one, you know, it's, uh, maybe it's a really good, I write some, some piece that's, that's really, really good. And I want to put that one behind the, 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 the paywalled other life archive. And I would just basically be able to do any number of these different types of, of distribution tasks, all from within one, um, like highly focused centralized kind of command center. And then in the future, as my work evolves and as I build a library, you know, ideally all of my writing, all of my, my output is I'm able to introduce new layers of control and manipulation on top of my whole archive of past writings. And this is, I think a, a, a huge, a huge problem right now, because today creators kind of put their work in all these different places, right? I might upload a video to YouTube. I might upload a piece of text to my blog and my newsletter. And then, you know, a year later I've done all this work and I can't remember where anything is. It's all in different places. I can't retrieve it. I can't, you know, let alone, let alone recombine it or remix it. And, and this to me is the real, like at the, at the, at the very end of, of the tunnel of what truly optimal private computing should look like and feel like is my entire, all of the work that I've invested into my computer, my writing, my accumulation of links and ideas and, and, and relationships as well, that all of that stuff can start to actually accumulate uh, kind of compo compounding value over time in a way that it just does not at all in, in, in the current version of the clear web. So, you know, I imagine something like if I, you know, if I record a video, let's say I want to, let's say I want to record a little lecture video on some, on some topic of interest to me. I will do that on my little Urbit laptop and I'll have these different types of apps that I'll, that I'll have developed, you know, other people will have developed or I'll develop them, them with my, my engineering friends or whatever. But, you know, in an ideal world, I like make a little video and then I also, uh, kind of right click that and I send it down a whole, a whole 
a whole production line, a whole kind of assembly line where the, the video gets turned into audio and the audio automatically goes to the podcast RSS feed and people who subscribe to my podcast get the audio of that video on their phone immediately. But it's also automatically transcribed into text. Maybe it's put into my archive. That's like for my own, my own kind of knowledge graph for, for future, you know, remixing or whatever in a searchable way. Um, and maybe it also, the text, the text version goes into my urbic group where my friends can, can see it, comment on it, and maybe cite it in their knowledge, in their knowledge graphs. And, um, so that's like the, the really kind of super long-term, um, unhinged urbic futurism and engineers can tell me if I'm just like, you know, um, thinking a little too, uh, a little too crazy and, uh, I better not get my hopes up because this is really just, uh, dreaming, but. I don't know. That's how I think about it. Like in, in a world where we really control our computers and there's virtually no limit to our ability to impose computer programming on our data, however we want in a way that's like maximally free. The, these are the types of workflows and processes that I dream of as a writer and as a creator. And so that that's my urban futurism. Um, let me say this then, just to, to give you sort of a lead into that. Uh, when you interview Edward, um, ask him about his idea for an ebook reader. And I think okay. that when he explains, when he explains an Urbit ebook reader to you and what it can be on Urbit, it'll be very exciting for you because, uh, what, what you can do on Urbit as a, like, if you can imagine peer to peer document like how how a peer-to-peer -peer document um like an ebook could be managed and annotated and um like you know your allowed annotator list or or you know you like you 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 see um uh like kindle for instance when people get a kindle book you can see sort of the annotations from other people but you know imagine right. if you could control that experience you're not getting it fed to you from amazon like this is yeah. this stupid line from this book that 5,000 people you don't care about, you know, have, <laughs> yeah. have highlighted, but right. uh, sort of invert that and, and give yourself control over, over the annotations and sort of imagine what kind of quality ac academic uh, discourse on your own, like uh, ebook in your own library is sort of showing up every time you open that ebook. It's, it's sort of like, you know, a magical sprawl of, of, uh, thinkers living thinkers that you like the best annotating your ebook and and that ebook being updated uh whenever you oh, open yeah. it that's i cool. mean that kind that kind of thing becomes possible so yeah you should, totally. you should talk to him about that though that's his i think that's one of his big goals or dreams for for uh urban that's great i I'm, i made a note of it i will I'll try my best to actually ask him that Okay, so can we can we uh, shill for you the the um, I think that you have like uh, you're going to try to interview like ten people and uh, you're inviting donations so that you can um, make it as high quality high production quality as possible. So can how can people contribute to that? Oh yeah, sure. I, I wasn't sure if this was going to get out to the public in time for that, but yeah. So basically, I, I am I'm investing in doing a, a professional quality interview series that on my podcast, Other Life, which will be uh, dedicated to all the galaxy brains of Urbit that I can gather together uh, over the assembly in Austin, Texas. So yeah, I will be, I, I am actually already like burning cash on this. So I'm, I'm going to do it either way. I'm happy to do it. Um, but 
I am running a fairly small operation on a shoestring budget. So I did just put together a little document out there that uh, just basically compiles my plan. And I am kind of circulating that just because it is, a. I think this interview series will be, uh, you know, a, a, a high value public good that will redound to the benefit of all urban address space owners. So um, yeah, if you're out there and you want to kind of just help me do this without, uh, you know, uh, burning my own bank, um, I would be grateful for a little bit of support um, if you want to throw some my way, but also um, more self-interestedly, I also have some advertising spots, which I'm happy to offer as well. So if anyone out there is building, certainly if you're building an urbit based business, uh, definitely get in touch. But even if it's just an urbit adjacent business and you think the urbit types of people would be interested in your company, I would like to sell a few ad spots. These will be like featured partners uh, per episode. And uh, I also have a, a fairly, you know, large, I don't want to say too large, but um, a, a decently sized newsletter as well as a YouTube channel. So I'm basically selling a spot for each episode as, as a feature partner. And I'm I, I made a little document that kind of explains all the parameters and gives you some data on on my operation. So if you want to evaluate that, I'll give you guys a link and you can put it in the show notes. But that's basically all there is to it. Okay. Thanks very much, Justin. Yeah, man. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please visit us at www.thestack.link or find us on Twitter at thestack.link, all one word. And please remember to like and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Josh, and with Andy, we are The Stack. <laughs>